Welcome to the Financial Advisors Workshop, where Brian Castle, founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago, interviews the most successful financial advisors in America to hear exactly how they grew their businesses to 100 million and beyond. Before we dive into the interview, please go to financialadvisorsworkshop.com and download your copy of our free guide on how to find ultra high net worth clients. Let's start the show. Here's Brian. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Financial Advisors Workshop. This is the show where we talk to people in our industry. Uh, most of the folks watching this are financial advisors. I'm a financial advisor, and we want to showcase the great people that do great work in our business for all the wealthy families and, and some not so wealthy, helping them become wealthier. And uh, so we have a great uh, a great advisor with us today who's got some really interesting backgrounds and we want to showcase him and learn a little bit more about what he's doing and how he does it. Sam Brownell uh, is the founder and managing director of stratuswealthadvisor.com and you're out in Washington, D.C. near the Baltimore area. Yep. Uh, welcome, Sam, to the Financial Advisors Workshop. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm excited for uh, the conversation. Great. Well, so are we in You've been an advisor for 10 years, uh, which is, uh, you know, moderate experience. I mean, some folks that we interview are 25, 30, 40 years, but that that's because you've done some other things in your career, which actually really are a great part of your story. So why don't we hear from you, Sam, about what you did before you got into our business and then what you're doing now. All right. Kind of lead us through that progression. Yeah, sure. Sure. So I, I came out of undergrad and went to work at a bank uh, in San Francisco, Jolson Merchant Partners. And I started on the trading desk there and traded some uh, equities and then moved into some some derivatives and then got into risk management. So, you know, if we, we had proprietary traders that were putting positions on or carrying them overnight or for a couple of days, we would try to hedge that risk. And then I moved from there into the investment banking part of it doing research. And that was a, that was a really... It was a good experience, I would say, and I think it was one that that helped me understand a little bit more about what I wanted to do. I, I mean, I think uh, maybe like a lot of your listeners, it's it's easier to figure out what you don't want to do than, than what you actually do want to do. So, um, you know, as I got farther along in the investment banking world, I realized that what I was really doing was just helping people with uh, lots of money, hedge fund, private equity folks make more money and what I really wanted to do was be more impactful on in the individual level. And while I was at the investment bank, I went through and got my CFA certification. So I, I had a good background in terms of valuation, but had gotten a couple tips from some folks that I knew that uh, there was a lot of work to be done in the private valuation space. And so that then led me to, to think about how I could help business owners of medium local hardware or jewelry stores, pet, own, pet store owners, places like this, they built something, they've worked really hard, they put a lot of money into it. How are they going to plan for their future, especially when one of their big assets is a liquid asset? Nice. So in that in, in that other business that you were involved in, you learned some uh, activities uh, that you worked with companies on that you've now brought into your current business that have helped in the private client side too. Let's learn about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think uh, so a couple of big ones were obviously the valuation piece of it is 
how do you how do you value a business and what is important to think about when you're doing that? Part of it is how do you make something more marketable? And if you've got a business, how do you make it more marketable? And how do you make it easier for for somebody out there to say, you know, hey, Brian, I think what you've got is great. I'd, I'd like to get involved with that. And I'd also say that, that when it comes to any type of investment banking work, there's a, there's a certain amount of figuring out where your niche is and, and trying to go after it. We did a lot of work in San Francisco, obviously with tech. So that, that led me to Okay, it's it's good to have an expertise, right? I wasn't going to be the investment banker for somebody who was running an agricultural firm, right? I, you know, it was it was tech and, and specifically technology hardware. So really drilling down and, and getting a deep penetration into a, a certain market was was a really useful skill that's carried over into my current uh, career. Okay, so it's valuations and succession planning, which is work you did on the investment banking side, but that's really transferred over to this practice as well. Yeah. Yeah, correct. And and it's one of those things that in, it, it's inevitably coming and you can put it off as long as you want. But like so many things in, in life and in our work as advisors, it's those transitions that get people really worried and, and where they need advice, you know, whether it's selling a business or getting divorced, you know, these are things that, that come up, uh, you know, I'm even retiring, right? It's a huge change for a lot of people. And so, that's where I feel like folks in our, our position can offer a whole lot of value. Exactly. Well, great. So, all right. So now um, you did that business, you got out of that business, and you're in the financial advisory business. Um, let's tell us about the last 10 years then. It was uh, where you started and where you, what are you doing now? Let's, let's hear that story. Yeah, sure. Sure. So, so I got started, uh, interestingly enough, I, I went to get an MBA at the University of Maryland here in uh, the, the D.C. area, which is part of the reason I, I ended up uh, in this in this area. And um, we had uh, a number of classmates from all over the country and, and the world, really, but had a couple of folks who were actually there because they were next in line to take over a family business. And when they knew what I, that I had come from an investment banking background, they got to know me, of course, and we were friends, but they had asked, you know, have you ever done this with a private business? And I said, well, you know, no, actually I haven't, but, you know, silly me, right? How different can it be? Um, right. So, so that then uh, then led me to start thinking about, well, you know, if these people need help. I'm sure there are other folks out there that could use the help. And, and that really led me to start thinking, do I want to continue in the investment banking side when I get out of business school? Or would it be better to go and, and try to serve more of your your homegrown independent business owner who isn't going to necessarily walk away with hundreds of millions of dollars, but is going to need that two, three, four million dollars as a, a really integral part of their retirement plan? Yes. Yes. All right. So, um, okay. So then how do you work your practice now? Um, yeah. Which, and all that information. Uh, you know, um, tell us about your firm. Sure, sure. So, so Stratus Wealth Advisors is the the holding company. We have three operating companies under it. One is a, your traditional RIA, right? We're a, we're a fee only investment manager and financial planner. We do a lot of work with individuals and families, um, and of course, families are a lot of times tied into the family businesses we work with. And we have another business that does valuations. So its its role is 
to solely do business valuations for people that need it. And it could be for, for any number of reasons. It could be because there's a transition. It could be because some, you know, an owner died. It could be because there's a buyout happening and, and between partners and they need to get a, a valuation so that uh, folks don't argue too much. It could be a, a parent gifting to a, a child or granting, you know, an owner granting to uh, an employee that uh, they, they want to keep on. So lots of different things that that we do within there. And then that leads into that uh, third part, which is the uh, succession planning piece. And that's where we're really laser focused on making sure that these transitions take place and they take place well. And and it's, it's kind of interesting, Brian, because it, we really do in some ways have a nice funnel into the RIA because we're working with these folks along the planning route. And then there's ultimately a liquidity event. And of course, at that point, if they're working with us and they don't already have another advisor, lots of times we'll say, you know, hey, what do I do with this? You know, I've got $5 million. How do I make this last the next, you know, 20, 25 years um, and potentially build wealth for, for future generations? Right. So so now that you, you've got, I think, about $60 million under management, is that correct? Yep. Okay. And much of that has come out of that other practice, hasn't it? Correct. The correct. Business planning, succession, all that. Good. Uh, so then once you come up with those solutions, how do those solutions look? Like what kind of solutions? And then how do you run your firm in the sense of where do you custody and all those kinds of kind of firm issues that financial advisors deal with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we just went through a big switch. We, uh, we just moved uh, over to Charles Schwab. And uh, as anybody who's switched custodians knows, it's, uh, it's, it's a process. It doesn't matter if you're moving $6 or $600 million. It's a it takes a it takes a lot of legwork. So I'm lucky that I have some some staff that works works really hard to do a lot of the stuff on the back end and, and don't mind getting involved in some of the details because it does take time. And um, you know I think that we're 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 looking at providing these solutions when we come in from the succession planning side. It, it's really about maximizing that net value, right? I can come and tell a business owner that their business is worth $10 million, but if they don't do that right, you know, it could be, depending on what state they live in, right? It could be 37% uh, on a on a federal level, and it could be eight or nine, 10% on a state level. And, uh, you know, you could end up giving away 40, 50% of the business value just uh, in terms of taxes, not to mention the fact that the more people, the more hands that get involved in the pot there, right? Lawyers and accountants and investment bankers and, and all these people. You know, the fees and taxes are a really critical element to put into the plan. And so one of the ways that we really like when we build, especially evaluation for succession planning, we reduce it by estimated transaction costs. And then we reduce okay. it by what we think the tax burden is going to be because they, you know, like, like anybody listening today, you you can't you can't do any planning based on gross because it's just now you're just fooling yourself and in particular your client. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, good. So do you uh, you do a financial plan and um, obviously look at opportunities to um, make sure that the client is going to do have the proper cash flow that is mm -hmm. proper. Um, what kind of tools do you use to do those things? Yeah, yeah. So we we use Money Guide Pro as our our financial planning tool, and you know I think like a like a lot of these programs, it's it's useful up into a point, but then you have to develop your own 
models inside to to get more specific and and so I would first thing I would say is I would encourage anybody out there just just because the program is there don't don't take it at face value because each client is going to be slightly different and particularly if they have unique circumstances right they're a business owner or or an athlete or or in 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 some regard not just a W two employee and so that becomes a really important part of the the planning is to figure out certain things like most of the people we work with have the vast majority of their net worth tied up in not just a business, but many of them own the real estate where they operate. And so it's, it's thinking about things like, okay, how do we not just monetize the business, but are we going to sell the real estate? If not, are we going to set it up as a triple net lease? You know, that could be a really nice stream of income coming in during retirement for for folks, um, life insurance becomes super important in these cases, um, especially permanent insurance, so that there's some type of cash value that's being built up. Because, you know, God forbid something happens, it doesn't even have to be death, but uh, you know, some type of disability. How's the family going to get liquidity, right? You right, know? and and that that becomes a really important part of the planning process. Right. Good. Uh, okay. And then um, uh, in many of the families you work with, you're doing all these other kind of higher level planning uh, issues with, um, do they also still have concentrated holdings in stock as well as real estate sometimes? How do you handle yeah. all? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, and it, it's interesting because it, it, especially when you start getting into the, the private business side of things, it's, it can be in some ways even more challenging, right? Than somebody who's who's inherited, let's say, a, a large concentrated position, or maybe they, you know, they work for a tech company and they they got some shares in the company and was fortunate enough to go public, and now they've got, you know, ninety percent of their net worth in one stock. Uh, because you get a lot of these these family businesses that three, four, five generations, and there are a lot of people that have their hand in the business and various ownership and. You know, some of them are voting rights, some of them have no voting rights, but they're all there and that becomes a huge part of their net worth. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. Trying to figure out how to diversify away from that uh, becomes big, especially if they're, you know, a lot of times these folks may be in their 40s and they're not they're not ready to, to liquidate their, their ownership position in the company. So they're got to start looking at other ways, you know, where are we putting cash that is more liquid than, than a business holding or a real estate holding? Yeah. So have you done much work with restricted stock issues, 144 uh, transactions like that? Yeah. So we, we don't tend to run into it. We don't tend to run into a ton of that um, in our work. We've definitely seen it. Um, but but ours tend to be more around just we've got uh, a couple generations that may own uh, a minority interest, let's say, in a, in a privately held company and uh-huh. have to figure out how to, how to manage around that and how to make, how to basically how to build a strategy that allows somebody to build net worth outside of this very illiquid holding. Yes. Interesting. Well, good. Um, and what kinds of investments do you put the liquid as you, as you diversify the more liquid in, are you running money or are you using managers platforms? Tell us how you actually invest the money for these insiders and other important people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good Good question. So we we tend to 
keep our client base fairly concentrated. Uh, you know, we have probably 20 to 25 households. So we're, we're definitely doing some more advanced things because, you know, we're talking households with three, four, five million dollars or more. And so we've started to do a, a lot of direct indexing and we're, we're using a, a sub-advisor to help us with that, where we run the strategy and then they're the ones who are actually doing the implementation and the, and the buying and selling. And we, we did that for two reasons, Brian. Number one was because it, it was a, it was a cost saver, right? Instead of having to pay right. us and then pay a, another third party, you know, a mutual fund company or a hedge fund or something like that to do it, we can go directly to, to the uh, stock market or, or to the bond market. And because of the fact that our clients tend to be larger, we're, we're not moving $20,000 here or $25,000 there uh, and, you know, taking haircuts in the bond side where we're moving larger positions and, and that's helpful. The other part about it is from a tax perspective, we can really control when the gains are realized and it, it, if, you know, mutual funds, as everybody knows, are have been great, but from a tax perspective, they can be difficult at the end of the year if it's a good year and the managers are, are trying to reposition or if there are some issues with people needing redemptions. And so you might have to take a tax hit, even though you haven't done anything with your with your money. And we find that that a lot of our clients appreciate not having that, oh my goodness, I've got a I've got a two hundred thousand dollar gain. Where did that come from? Right. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things that happen with corporate executives and private companies and that kind of thing that that uh, really requires specialized knowledge. And obviously it sounds like you have that for sure. Um, great. Um, okay. So um, what, what are, what are some other unique things about the practice? Uh, you know, you have specialized, you know, executive planning, uh, you work with uh, tax issues, succession, anything else you want to share with us? Yeah. So I think two, two things is, is, the estate piece is critical, right? We're we're not lawyers, but we certainly get. You know, when you get involved with these more complex clients, one of the one of the first things we do in any succession planning engagement is to basically just whiteboard out what are the assets, how are they owned, how might they get transferred, and how does cash flow between them? Because you might have a business that has three or four different locations. Each of the locations is owned by an LLC that is not the operating business. And then you may have you may have other other family assets, whether they're they're private residences, whether it's uh, expensive, sometimes you get into stuff like jewelry or other tangible goods, cars. And you just need to know how all of these go. I mean, we've seen we've we've had clients that have had also had their main business, they've owned the real estate and then they've had side businesses where Hey, they bought some land and they wanted to start a horse farm, or you know, they wanted to, to build a golf course or, or something like that. And so, I think in those situations, it's really important just to try to get a very good picture of what's out there. And in our perspective, is to try to simplify it as much as possible. You know, obviously, the more holdings you have, it's going to get more complicated, but. Many people have have gone kind of overboard, and they're not even really aware of the fact that they may be still paying a loan to a deceased relative's estate. You know, is is there really a point in keeping that open anymore? Should we you know, find some cash and just shut that down so we can close that estate out and get that piece settled? 
So now we're dealing with less balls in the air that we're trying to juggle. So, so for us, that becomes a, it's, I wouldn't necessarily call it fun, but it's a very vital part of, of what we do. Right. So let me ask you, Sam, you know, this is such unique work and interesting work. Have you lost any clients since you started as an advisor? So we have, and, and, and I think it's, Part of it is because not every client that comes to us is going to ultimately become an investment management financial planning client. You know, a lot of the clients that we work with have come from other advisors and we're very open with advisors and say, look, if you have a succession planning or valuation issue, please don't be afraid to call us. We're not here to take your your AUM. We, we want to we're here to help you. And, you know, we talked uh, before we, we came on, Brian, about how those of us in this space really need to to support each other. And, and that's one of the things that we really yeah. try to do is if somebody comes to us and says, you know, hey, can you help this client of mine? They're getting a little bit older and they're sort of slowing down and they're they're thinking about transitioning their business. We're happy to do that because it's not just work for us, but ultimately we know that that liquidity event will be good for that advisor down the road and that working relationship then that we built will come back and pay dividends in, in down the road. Do you cooperate with other financial advisors to provide special services, but only really do the investing for them if they don't have another financial advisor? So you- Yeah, exactly. Your advisors, you protect other advisors on their clients, but do unique services for them that they wouldn't no normally know how to do on their own. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So we can we can fill in with that valuation succession planning piece that the advisor may not have the capability of, but now they've got somebody who they can go to and say, yes, we can handle you as a client because we have somebody we can we can work with that will help you with these more specific requirements like valuation and succession planning. It sounds like really a great business. Uh, at Four Star, we do a lot of work with insiders of public companies. Got it. Uh, less with private, but um, we realize that the way it's so specialized that people really need that advice and really need that service, but it can only come from someone that really understands that area. And uh, it sounds like you really do, and, and in the areas that we're in, we really do. Um, and so it, you do tend to lose less clients, right? Because they really... It's such a specialized area. They know that the average financial advisor doesn't know most of the this territory. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I, and I think that's part of what's fun about it is that you're you're putting together each each puzzle is a little bit different, right? right? It might be in the same area, it might be the same shift, yeah. you know, color, but it's not. It's shades of gray, and so you know, people could be even in the same industry, but every business, every family is different, and so they're going to need a slightly different solution to to the problem right so sam from your experience do you think that some of the knowledge that you have that you brought into the financial advisory business and advising private companies and executives and their families is this stuff that others could learn do you think yeah no i i think so it's it's certainly one of the things that we have really found to be useful is not just to focus in this area with family businesses, intergenerational wealth transfer, stuff like that, but we've gotten fairly specific in the industries that we work in as well. So we do we do a lot of work in lumber and building materials, independent hardware stores, independent home centers, 
And then a lot of the ancillary trades, architects, engineers, plumbers, HVAC, those types of companies. And, and that's really been helpful too, because even if you have the technical knowledge, right? And so along with the CFA, I also have a CVA, which is essentially the private market equivalent of a CFA, right? So it's a valuation designation for, for valuing private businesses. And, and a lot of advisors out there can, can go through that program. It's, it's challenging, but you can, you can get through it and you can learn the technical skills, but then you're dealing with businesses. And so it can be very helpful because it's not the same as a public company. Obviously it's, it's a lot harder to dig up the information because it's closely held. And a lot of times there's a tremendous amount of emotion swirling around because you're talking about a family. It's, you know, parents and kids and their kids and everybody's, you know, squabbling over something or other. And and so knowing the industries can really help because that can help establish some of the expertise that you have. So if somebody comes to us and says, starts talking about their company in in an industry, like let's say building materials, we're already well aware of what the average balance sheet should look like, let's say. And so we can ask very good questions. And and I I think that probably goes for anything you're going to get into in, in this in this uh, industry, but really going a little bit deeper than just gaining the knowledge, right? I mean, all of us know how to put together financial plans, but can you put them together for divorcees or widows or, or whatever the, the case may be. That's a, that's a little bit of a different, a horse of a different color, right? From the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah. So, um, so others can learn uh, this business or they, or they could just lead on a partner like yourself or another firm. Um, you know, it, it seems like there is so much specialized knowledge, but you brought it all back to dealing with people and people really are what this business is all about. And, you know, some people on the outside might look at a wealthy family with executive issues like you um, work with and I've worked with and think, oh, they're smart and bulletproof and they know everything. Right. The reality is they're just people too, right? They don't know everything. Yeah. And they do need your advice, Sam, don't they? No, you're you're absolutely right, Brian. And And one of the things that you find is that just like – just like I don't prepare my own tax return, right? There, there are certain things that you get beyond a certain point and it becomes, it's just not worth your time, right? It's back to the old economic principle of specialization. You know, could I do all this stuff? I mean, maybe, but would I be doing it at a, at a very high, sophisticated level? No, there's just not enough hours in the day to, to do that and not enough space in my brain, quite honestly. And so that's where it is great that we, we have a community of people and one of the things that we work really hard on is trying to cultivate relationships within the advisor community so that if we do have questions, we have folks we can go to, or we can, you know, if somebody comes to us and, and it's just not the right fit, we're not going to, we're not going to take on a client that, that we can't, you know, if somebody came to us with a, with a 144A issue, we would turn and we'd look at somebody like you and say, you know, you should really go and talk to somebody like Brian because that's going to behoove them much better than us trying to reinvent the wheel when that's really not our specialty. Well, that's one of the cool things about the financial advisor world and the independent space that we all can collaborate. Firms can work together and in the broker dealer space, it's hard to do that. Yeah. Uh, in our space, you can help me with valuations on private 
I can help you with public and we can all be happy and work together and not steal each other's clients like they try right. to do it warehouses and stuff like that uh yeah. so uh so it's fun it's the collaboration is fun and and uh that that's really great no uh, i agree i agree it's it is and it and you learn something right you you learn something along the way and sure. i feel that's a cool part of the business too is i i don't think i go through a day without learning something and, and that's that's neat yeah that's really great and no situation is exactly the same as no no, exa- exactly, and and you could be you could be looking at very similar. You know, we a lot of the companies that we're dealing with are between you know probably ten and fifty million in revenue. So a lot of times they're overlooked by your mid market investment banks, right? They're not at a hundred million dollars, and and you know so they're they're they may not be getting the same type of advice, and at the same time they may not be in a position to hire. Now, if you're a company doing two or three hundred million in revenue, you, you may have a, some operational consultants that you work with over time, and you may be able to pay to get a valuation every year so you know about where everybody in the family stands. But for these smaller businesses, you, you know it's a bigger outlay of money, and it's it's nice for them to feel like they have somebody who can go and help them get similar service, high quality well thought through plans that they might not be able to get because the mid-market banks just aren't looking at them. And uh, that's, that's, it's too bad, but it, it creates a nice uh, space for us to, to add a lot of value. It really does. And, 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 you know, taking it in a step further as to the family office world, you know, some families are wealthy enough that they can hire their own team and do valuations and do uh, money manager evaluations and do right. financial and do everything. And then some are smaller where there's outsourced family offices or we have three or four families together in a, in a group family office, right? Mm-hmm. And they can do it that way. Or um, wealthy families that are not quite at the 100 million level, for example, they can work with folks like you or I and others who have some of that knowledge. And that's a, it's a really great way to add value um, to the to the people above the mass affluent market that don't really need those issues. Right. 90% of America probably doesn't need a lot of this work. Right. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. In the areas though, where, where we can really help them and you can help them, it's quite impactful. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a, uh, they're because the community is a little bit smaller, it's a little bit tighter. And, and so, the the referral work you do you do good work and and people are gonna tell their friends about it because you know a lot of the folks that we work with they're involved either what trade associations or purchasing groups or or various other organizations uh, local economic development organizations and you know they they talk to each other and we found that a great way to get through to a lot of our potential clients is through education. And we do a lot of webinars. We we go to a lot of conferences and, and do educational talks. And really for us, it's it's about just getting people to start thinking about, because everybody knows eventually, well, you know, I, I can't run the business forever, but they usually bog down in your day-to-day to-do list. And so just getting these ideas in front of them early, I think makes a makes a big difference. Because like in all planning, we can we can do a lot more in terms of turning the ship if we if we start early. If somebody comes and says, "Hey, you know, Sam, I need to get out of the business by the end of this year," 
we can help you, but it's it's not going to be as impactful in terms of, especially if you don't already have a business that is very well run. If we need to make some changes, six months is just not enough time to do it. Yeah, there, there's there's tax structures and things that need to be done over a long period of time. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, this has been a really unique discussion, Sam. I I, I think uh, I think our whole our whole team uh, that's listening out here is 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 all the better for it and. I think you run in a unique business that um, of only a small cadre of our team in the financial advisor world does this, and it's really it's really fascinating. So folks can work with you, and they could contact you uh, in in uh, in your office in in Baltimore area. Uh, where exactly are you? Are you you near Timonium or? Over. So we're in, we're in Kensington actually. So we're kind of DC's here and Baltimore's here. We're kind of here. So we're in between okay. DC and Baltimore. Yeah. So Montgomery County, Maryland is where we are. Okay, and that's a great area. Certainly an area that's created lots of wealth as well. Yeah. Lots of companies. Uh, East Coast, very nice. Uh, good. Well, thank you, Sam. Um, I think we're coming to the end of our time, and uh, I, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea if there's any other a major message that you would like to tell everybody about, you know, what's the best way to build this kind of business um, and, and a message you'd like to send our, our cohort of financial advisors out there in America today. Yeah, sure. No, happy to, happy to do that. I, I would, I would say two things. Number one is, is really focus on a niche. It's a, it's a lot easier to market because at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're selling trust, right? Uh, you know, yes, we have to have specialized knowledge and all of that, but People have to trust us first, and so really getting in and figuring out what a what a niche is. And so my suspicion for a lot of folks out there, because this is what worked for us, is do you, do a little cross sectional analysis of your clients and and line it up against what your what your ideal client would look like? Because I, I bet you there, most folks have some similarities between the clients that they're working with currently and and that they like to work with, right? Because it's important to like the clients that you're, you want to work with. And so I think a niche helps with that because it just builds on itself. Um, and then the other thing I would say is just don't don't be afraid to collaborate and and reach out to each other because we're, we're stronger together. We are, absolutely. Well, great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sam. This has been a really fascinating interview and a very unique one. Uh, but I think one all of our advisors in, in you know in, in our uh, in our cohort around the country need to hear, and uh, I think it's great you bring to the table some unique things that others don't do. But if you work in these areas, you can really develop a very very unique practice with super wealthy people, and yeah. it's, not, it's not as hard as you might think. Is it? no, no, it's not. It's it's just. Like anything, it's it's getting that snowball rolling, and uh, it's uh, you know you meet the first couple people, and that's really challenging. But pretty soon, you're ten years into it, and and uh, businesses. You know, yes, we still do marketing, and and uh, we we love to do educational sessions. But uh, you know, I'm sure with like with you guys, Brian, it's we have people reaching out all the time to work with us, and and that's that's great. You know, that's wonderful, and I think everybody out there can do that if they find the right place to do and develop that specialized knowledge. And we feel the same way. We try at Four Star to train advisors all across the country to work with corporate executives. Um, we'll advise right. them and them or train them how to do it. Uh, and and that's a that's really exciting stuff. And any anyone who really wants to learn can, which yeah. is exciting. So 
Agree. Well, Sam, thanks for being with us today. This has been great. I think all our, our brethren are going to learn a lot here um, from this discussion. And uh, I'm sure our paths will cross here again. And if anybody's interested in, in getting in contact with Sam, uh, let us know at Financial Advisors Workshop and we'll connect you guys. Uh, Sam will go from there. And uh, what do we uh, what do we call it for the day? Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. This is great. Great. And thanks, everybody out there uh, in in, uh, in financial advisor land. Uh, we're glad you joined us today for Sam Brownell, really interesting investment banker turned financial advisor and all the uniqueness that goes with that. Fascinating stuff. Great business. Uh, and uh, so glad uh, that we had this episode today. Um, let's leave it there, everybody. Uh, we will be back with another episode of Financial Advisors Workshop with hopefully someone just as smart as Sam Brownell. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the ideas shared here, please subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify and share this episode with anyone you think will also find value here. Please send us your follow-up questions at financialadvisorsworkshop.com. And while you're there, download our guide on how to find ultra-high net worth clients. And if you're a financial advisor looking for more freedom, higher margins, and better training, please set up a consultation to hear more about joining our team by going to fourstarwealth.com slash advisors. All right, thanks for listening. And until the next Financial Advisor Workshop, keep on growing, everyone.